Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Rhonda Walker, CMO from IT Renew, a leading global IT lifecycle management solutions company, and Doug Campbelljohn, CEO and founder at Airspeed, a team-building platform for modern companies. Happy Friday, everyone. My name is Gil Alush. I'm the founder and CEO of Metadata, and this is Category Creator Podcast. Uh, I have together with me Rhonda Walker and Doug Campbelljohn. Uh, maybe we'll get started just by cheering first. Happy Friday. Thank you both for joining me for the podcast. I have two episodes today. I usually do two drinks per episode, so I have a long two hours ahead of me. Uh, maybe we'll start with Rhonda. Maybe you can start us off by introducing yourself and the company you work. Sure. Uh, I'm Rhonda Walker. I'm CMO at IT Renew. Uh, what my company does is we're applying circular economics to enable profitable, sustainable worldwide data center growth for the IT industry. So in plain English, what we do is we create second lives for some of the most advanced data center technology on the planet. We work with largest cloud service providers, those hyperscalers that run fleets of millions and millions of servers to decommission that equipment and turn it into everything from components to other data centers. The goal is to replace the old take waste model with sustainably sourced hardware that's going to cut e-waste, lower carbon footprint for the planet, and bring technology that used to be out of reach to anyone and everyone. So sort of think of it as the pre-owned certified BMW of IT. Nice. I like that last sentence. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. And of you're uh, from the Bay Area. We're in the Bay Area. Uh, so I'm, oh, I live and work over in the East Bay, uh, about half hour outside of San Francisco. Nice. Very cool. Still vague. I like that. Doug, you're next. Uh, Gail, thanks for having me. I'm Doug Campbelljohn. I'm the CEO and founder of Airspeed. Uh, we're a seed stage startup focused on how to help remote workers feel more connected and celebrated. Uh, more coming later this year. And part of that, uh, just prior, I was the general manager for Sales Cloud at Salesforce. And before that, the uh, head of Sales Navigator at uh, LinkedIn, where I came to through the acquisition of my company, FlipTop. Very cool and uh, very exciting. Congrats on, on starting a new company. Hope that it's, uh, it's, it's not your first rodeo, but it seems like you're, you're excited about this new journey. So I'm excited for you. Um, awesome. Well, you know, I said it a little bit in the beginning. Um, and when I met, met a both of you, this the category creator podcast started as a, as a way to talk about category creation, which is a very hot topic, both for CMOs and entrepreneurs, uh, many people who read, uh, you know, like books and about entrepreneurship, as well as uh, just kind of the the literature and and the events that happen in the entrepreneurship world. We many times as entrepreneurs were being pushed or encouraged to start a new category um, because it sound it seems to be what what people think is a kind of a guaranteed way to get to a billion dollar outcome. I think some of the uh, thing we've done in the category creator podcast is. Uh, break this disillusionment that it's not always the case. Sometimes it's not even a good idea to create a new category. So hopefully you have strong opinions about that as well as tactics 
uh, when when one wants to create a category, how to do about how to go about it. So that will be one of the topics. Um, but I'm going to start with something completely unrelated to category creation. Um, I would love to hear, uh, Doug. Maybe uh, maybe you can start us off in your journey as an entrepreneur, executive at Salesforce, and now again as an entrepreneur. If you had to pick one hashtag failed moment, like one moment where you screwed up and lost sleep at night and was just like pissed, uh, you can take any company that you worked with or worked for or, or created. What would be that, uh, that hashtag failed moment? How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I used, to, I used to say when somebody would ask me how my day was as an entrepreneur, it's like, do you want the 10 a.m. version, the 2 p.m. version, or the 6 p.m. version, right? Because they're, they're typically different. Uh, yeah, that list is, is very long, and the goal is hopefully to make new mistakes this time uh, and every time. Um, I think the um, kind of bringing it to, this, to the topic of the podcast, I would say in my, my last company, Fliptop, uh, we waited too long and then went about doing anything related to marketing in the wrong way. Um, and what I mean, mean by that is I'm a product person, I'm a builder. So I, you know, that's, that's my happy place and where I spent most of my energy. So we focused a lot of time on building the first product and getting it out and user interface and all of that piece and didn't have any conversations about category creation or products, you know, ideal customer profile or any of that stuff. And then when we hired a marketer uh, and she was great, but we just immediately went into demand generation. Like, let's just start to build leads. Um, and that was a huge fail because, you know, we, we kind of got out of the gate and went like, okay, you know, the, the curves are like this and they're not like this. Um, so it took us a while to recover that and then actually step back and say, okay, let's hit the reset button. And uh, now really try to understand who our customer is and how we can talk to them. Love it, especially since you were the ICP uh, provider back then and you kind of didn't even use that on your own, but you went into the mansion, which is very natural. I think I've done the same, uh, but uh, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Rhonda, what about you? Well, Doug, thank you for giving me a couple minutes to, to think about what that fail was. And I'm very much in the same camp as you. I mean, can't have been in this industry as, as long as I have without having a, a number of them to fall back on and learn from. Uh, but one thing that comes to mind specific to category creation was when I was CMO of Dolby Laboratories, I joined the company at a stage where it was a, a well-established company that had actually created the category of surround sound. And we were at a stage though, when we were trying to think again, like a startup, right? How do we come, become more relevant again? How do we engage our audiences in new ways? And we started to look at a whole bunch of different spaces to play in. Everything from gaming for audio to conference calling, all the way into 3D visual, you know, take our brand in a whole new direction. And I think the, the mistake at the time was we got so enamored and excited about what was happening in these new spaces that I think we took our eye off the core. And it was at that time that Beats Audio came in and really started to, you know, get a foothold with some of that consumer audience. And we really had to take that step back and say, okay, you know, they're great. They're going to create some, uh, some amazing opportunity. They're going to entrench in the category in their own space. You know, people who want booming audio and, you know, bass that makes you vibrate out of your chair. But we've got to reassert ourselves in that sort of immersive experience where audio disappears into the background because it's just so natural. And, you know, I think that's a good learning for both established companies and new in the market is keep your focus and never assume that the ground you've already taken is going to stay yours forever. 
Super insightful. Thank you. Um, let's dive a little bit into, let's start with category creation a little bit. Um, and Rhonda, maybe you can, you, can, you, can, you can answer first. When you think about category creation, um, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You know, you know, for me, it's that category creation is probably the wrong term to focus on these days. Because I honestly think there, there is very little new under the sun, right? You know, it's sort of like the great American novel, right? Every plot has been written at some point. So really the focus has to be on category evolution. How do you carve out a new space? How do you take something that's established and well-known and well-worn and find that missed opportunity, find that gap that you can fill and take it to the next space? And you know, it was it was an interesting journey for me. I was, you know, the first startup I was part of was Jasper Technologies. And we were coming into the Internet of Things, which at the time was already sort of a nascent space that had evolved from, from other places. And our point of view was that, you know, it, it shouldn't be about the things, it should be about what the things enable. Once you get them connected, a whole world of opportunities come up. And we were the only ones who were saying, stop focusing on the word things. And it gave us an opportunity and engage people on a new level and talk about the kinds of experiences, benefits, and other things they wanted to bring to their customers and how we could help them get there. And it gave us a, a way to shift the conversation. And I think, you know, for me, that's what category creation is really more about is it's how do you move the conversation to a new place as opposed to creating something from whole cloth. Interesting. Is there, is there a particular instance or scenario where you think there is no innovation happening and you should just kind of evolve the existing into a new definition or, or focus on something that is, is missing or is it always the case? It's absolute truth for you. So, so to be clear, I don't think this is about there not being any innovation, right? I, I think it's about there, there's a ton of innovation, right? And the world is evolving and therefore businesses that are coming into the space have to evolve along with it. But the, the investment and the heavy lift in saying, I'm gonna spend all my energy in building a category means that you're taking resources away from something else, right? You're taking it away from building a customer base, from building a brand, from really engaging with the market in a brand new way. So I think there is massive room for innovation. It's just really thinking about the context. Um, you know, hearkening back to my Dolby days, you think about the best movie pitches, right? They always associate with something you already know, you know, and it's Jaws meets Bambi, right? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know what that is, but I'm intrigued enough to know more right? Because I have context for both of those things. And I think the same holds true in branding and marketing and category creation. Give people something they can connect to, to say, okay, it might be like this, but it is brand new. And I want to know more and I want to engage with it. And I want to see if it's the right fit for me. And by the way, it's not about making something that exists bad or fail or, you know, put it out of its misery. It's saying, hey, there's room in the world for a lot of different things to coexist because they're in different sets of needs. And you're always going to have the folks who want the entrenched. I'm, I'm, you know, this is what I know. This is what I love. I'm sticking with it. And you're going to have innovators who are seeking opportunities to grow. And my bent has always been kind of like Doug's. I'm a builder. I want to go where no one's gone before but I want to find a way to make it really easy people for people to follow me there and want to be part of what's going on. That's a nice answer. I'm going to, I'm we're definitely going to go back to that one, but that's, that's very, very particular opinion, which I like. Uh, <laughs> Doug, what, what's your take on that? What's the first thing that you, that you think about um, with the words category creation? 
So as soon as you see a category like the analysts, like Forrester and Gertner come to mind. Um, and, you know, I, I, I get why entrepreneurs want to create categories. I mean, and I've, I've tried to do it in times in my career as well. Um, you know, I think one of the, my favorite books on this that I've read in, in recent years has been Play Bigger, uh, Chris Lockhead and stuff, um, and a group um, just super fantastic because the rewards are is if you can create a category, uh, as I often said, the, the best way to lead a parade is find one and step in front of it, right? So uh, you're either building a parade or finding a parade and putting yourself in front. Um, the rewards are huge. You know, the, the number one category leader as we were at, at Salesforce and prior to that, how Tom Siebel was at Siebel, like, you know, they're just massive. You, you end up getting dominant market share um, and things are just much easier all around, but it's not always the right strategy. And it could be take an existing category and subdivide it. I mean, HubSpot didn't come along and say, we're going to reinvent a new category uh, around CRM, for example, when they went into the sales play, they just said, hey, this is, you know, this is almost like a Microsoft Office suite for uh, uh, B2B apps. We're going to do marketing, then sales and ultimately service. And we're going to do that in a come from below approach. And again, has been a huge success, but has uh, redefined elements or sub-segmented a category rather than creating a new one on their own. And do you think, you know, you're, you're mentioning, hey, you know, I get why entrepreneurs want to do it. You know, I try to do it as well because the, 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 the outcome can be huge. You basically dominate and have the biggest return. Is that always the case in, in your opinion, where if you create a category, you're, you're likely to have the biggest outcome of that category? You know, I, I don't know if it's always the biggest outcome. I mean, you know, some of it is, I mean, it's hard to say whether Google created a category, you know, they were what the 20th search engine, you know, I certainly like a lot of people were like, yeah, thanks very much. We don't need one. We're good. We got Alta Vista. We got Excite. We got Yahoo. We're good. Um, and yet they just so dominated in terms of the quality of the product that they ended up being the category leader. Um, so I don't think you have to go start a new category from scratch. Um, and I, I, I've gone through the pain of that where you ultimately try for years and years, a company I was at years ago called Epiphany. You know, we were trying to convince Gartner that there should be a brand new category around uh, in the marketing and sales space. And ultimately just kept getting drawn back into their existing magic quadrants and existing stuff. Um, and it was fine. Like as long, you know, we, we probably should have taken some of that energy and just uh, focused on making the product even better. Because uh, I think that you can only get, if your product's crap, it doesn't matter what you do on category creation, right? You've got to always start with build, solve a real problem, do it in a way that's better than anyone else. Um, make sure you're staying in touch. As Rhonda said, don't lose touch with your core customers. Um, but then the category creation piece becomes a, uh, not what you say about yourself. It's what others are saying about you. Absolutely. And I think both of you have, have, uh, have repeated, you know, things that the others have said before about focusing on the customer, building the best product. Um, and you also both mentioned, if you spend time on category creation, you may not spend that time and that investment, that dollar amount uh, investment on, on something else that, that you may need. When, uh, when, in your opinion, and either of you can, can answer this, when, in your opinion, what are the signals that you can detect when you go in and say, no, this is completely new, it's, it's different enough or it's most, more different than common with the existing, so I'm going to go all in, I'm going to do the game side, the Salesforce, the no software, the customer success as a first-class citizen, what have you. There are many examples of, of really going all in and creating a category versus the... There is something in existing, and this is 
this is our niche within it. This is why us and not the others. How do you differentiate? I'm happy to go first. If you want to take oh, a first sure, go ahead and jump in. Um, you know, I think that part of it is uh, probably even before you're launching, you know, you're hopefully doing a lot of market validation. And how are those customers describing you, right? When you, you know, a great question to ask is, okay, you've just heard or seen what we're doing. How would you describe this to a friend, right? And if they're just suddenly describing this to a friend that says, oh, that feels really not where we want to be or how we want to be perceived, or that's a, you know, very small thing and we're trying to build a big thing, uh, that's time to lean in, I think, to go uh, take, take charge of your category creation exercise. Um, and, you know, I, I don't even know if Salesforce created a category per se. It was really a delivery model, right? Um, you know, it, it was really... Um, a web interface to what was a client server um, CRM system. Um, but the, the power was, oh, well, I can go swipe a credit card and I can go try this and I can do it in the cloud without having anything on the desktop. Um, and Mark is certainly one of the most brilliant, you know, marketers alive. Uh, and so he, he, he maximized that and you, you could perceive his, his efforts as category creation um, in and of itself. But that to me is, is really where, where you have to figure out, you're like, okay, um, are people describing me in a way that I think is still got enough white space and a big enough opportunity for me, as opposed to something that feels uh, like a me too or too small? Yeah, and, and I, I would build on what Doug was saying in terms of both listening to the customers, but also seeing opportunities to sort of provoke them into new thinking, because that was one of the things that, you know, I've seen over and over in my career, and I spent a decade at Intel, I went into the, you know, audio entertainment space, I've been at startups and big companies. And one of the things that I've seen over and over again is if you ask someone, what do you want? They're going to do their best to describe within the limited frame of what they know, here's how whatever you're doing, whatever I'm doing now could be made better. If you go in with something that really is an innovative idea that's a bit provoking and challenging and maybe forces them to ask some questions about, I don't understand this, I don't know why I need that. To me, some of those can be signals of there's a new category opportunity here, right? So if they respond with, oh, that's like X, but better, you know, hey, this is an opportunity to sort of evolve or carve your niche or do whatever you're looking to do. If they come back and say, I don't really understand <laughs> what, what you're talking about, explain it to me. And you can get them to lean in on the conversation and start to have that discussion about how this might meet unmet needs, how this might take them to a completely new place. I think that's where you get into, whether it's creating a completely new category or evolving an existing one and changing how it's defined and viewed in the world. I think that's where there's a ton of green space opportunity to go down that path. Very interesting. Kind of like the, I think it was Henry Ford, like if you ask them, you know, what they want next, like a stronger horse or another horse in, in yeah, the car exactly. versus, versus the car. Uh, very interesting. And when, when you think about, um, when you when you when you reach that conclusion that okay there is there is something here that is different you know customers don't really know how to define me they compare me to the wrong you know the wrong paradigm but I still you know they still really want this they don't really understand what it is but they still they, they definitely want this where do you invest first out of all the things that you can invest in category creation what would be the based on your experience both of your experience what is the first thing that you would 
you know, you were talking about Doug. You were you were making a point about the hashtag fail that your know, first marketing investment was dimension and that was premature. Uh, what what do you think would be the first best investment in category creation? So we're doing it very differently at Airspeed. Uh, we uh, just did our seed round in June, and uh, you know we're we're coding and we're designing, but. In parallel, we're running a pretty detailed market validation exercise right now. Uh, we'll probably talk to 30 or 40 companies, um, you know, at least 90 minutes each, and then follow on to get to our first 10 kind of charter customers. Um, and it's a lot of deeply trying to understand not the software they're looking for. As Rhonda says, you know, if you ask somebody what they want, you'll get kind of whiter, brighter, faster versions of what they know. Mm -hmm. um, but really trying to understand the pain and where it resonates. And then as we show them the things that we're working on, um, really try to understand, um, uh, ask some really hard questions. Like, you know, what's, what's, what's missing from here? And like, how would you, how would you sell this? You know, how would you take this to procurement or how would you describe this to somebody else? Or, you know, in baseball terms, is it a strikeout or is it a home run? So we, we dig pretty deep into those things. And that to me is, um, you know, it's at least half of my time right now digging into this stuff with customers and it's time incredibly well spent. Got it. So before you even take any action or make any investment, you really are doing like a ton of, of customer development and, and R&D to just understand what is it, how did, how did it think about it differently? Yeah, and we think about like, you know, uh, positive news is nice, but negative news is actionable. So we often think about, um, you know, it's it, it, in some of the best memes we've had have been somebody who said, you know, have been very skeptical, right? And, uh, you know, we've, we've taken some, some good insights of what to and what not to do out of that. Give you an example. I think this is, if you don't mind, this is, I think this is very interesting to our listeners because many of them are, even in Series A, honestly, I mean, many companies don't really have product market fit even later on. Uh, you're just tackling this super early. Uh, what, what does this look like? Like, what kind of conversation do you have that seems negative uh, or, or not good news to your point, but is actually super insightful and actionable? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, like any startup is a whole set of hypotheses. So we've kind of listed our hypotheses and our job right now is to prove or disprove those hypotheses as quickly as possible. Um, so we've talked to some companies that, you know, were actually declining growth. And, you know, despite the fact that their pain were clearly aligned with what we're trying to tackle, um, I think we're just in a mindset of more survival than they were, you know, investing in culture and investing in, you know, the, the health and well-being of, of employees. Uh, we've talked to folks who um, this exercise naturally kind of lends itself to, you know, a paid only kind of model. This was the same, uh, same team that did this, did work at LinkedIn for recruiter and, and other LinkedIn products. Um, and, uh, you know, so sometimes you get a question like, oh, well, it's only useful if the entire company is using it. So please talk to our head of HR, uh, as opposed to a product led growth model where, um, it could be, you know, this is a very bottoms up kind of piece. So we're learning in this process a lot in turn, we're, we're getting some fantastic customer quotes, first of all, um, that we'll, we'll no doubt use uh, for our marketing later, but we're also uh, really learning about what is that ideal customer profile, both on the company side and both uh, and on the uh, function side. Fascinating. Rana, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, um, you know, I think the, the whole concept of really investing in that product market fit side of things is critically important. 
I think it it is beneficial to do that in the you know very hands-on block and tackle that Doug described, but also going out and listening in the marketplace as well. And that may be social listening to see, you know, are the, the topics that you've teed up in your hypotheses things that people are even aware are problems? Are they talking about them and having conversations that you could potentially insert yourself into to you know, drive the direction you wanna go when you go out publicly? Um, I think the, the tip about you know, capturing the feedback that you hear as you know, potentially future customer quotes and comments and you know, messaging concepts are important. I also think it's really important to invest in storytelling. So how do you get to that really concise, pure message that is, here's who we are, here's what we do, here's why it matters, here's how the world's gonna be different because we're here, right? And this is what it means to you at the end of the day. So I think those things and getting those really crisp and sharp and differentiated and socialized across your entire organization. So when you are ready to go out and build, everyone's speaking the same language, right? Make it your own. This is not about give people a script that they need to read and rattle off. Please, I recommend everybody avoid that at all costs because it feels too rote, but give people enough that they can make that conversation their own and really go carry the water out in the world. And then in terms of where we invest first, um, you know, where I tend to invest early dollars is in PR, in social, in outreach, really figuring out, you know, how do we engage audiences in conversation and ultimately find our advocates out in the world, right? So this isn't pitching and selling, but this is, hey, if we're in the conversations, who's picking up on them? Who's interested? Who wants to know more? And how do we develop those folks into partners and advocates down the line? Because at a certain point, you telling your own story only gets you so far. When you get other people to tell it for you and support it, that's when you see that, that tipping point, that hockey stick of growth. I think- Fascinating. I was going to add one thing, uh, you know, which was, I think it's also important and, and there's no science to this, but it's more gut of what to ignore. Because uh, in this process, you get a lot of people who say, well, if you only took it this way, right, <laughs> or called it this, you know, we'd use it. And, you know, sometimes those are really, you know, big, powerful companies who might want to write you a big check. Um, and I think that's the death of, you know, uh, products and companies is if you're just get whiplashed by everybody's opinions, you have mm -hmm. to basically have some of these conversations and go, you're in the sweet spot, you're not. And then, you know, how do we find more of those? Um, I think um, uh, the team at Superhuman had done, you probably saw this a great blog post about product market fit, where which I loved the scientific nature of not just saying it's, you know, 40% or more, as, as Sean Ellis would say, you know, are deeply disappointed that, that if this product went away, but then really drilling down to what's the personas that said that and what's the feature that would be missing to get the other audience about and really like, you know, getting to that initial landing ground so that then you can figure out where to expand to. Lots of great points. I feel like both of you, although you started contrarian to category creation, uh, are very passionate about category creation. Sounds like you've done a lot of that work uh, in the past, which is really cool. I, I'm taking notes about some of these tactics. Let's take a break a second for, for drinking, because I noticed that none of you are, are drinking, only me. So cheers. 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 What are you drinking, Doug? Uh, this is tequila. Nice. What kind? Uh, so it's uh, Casa Dragones. What's that Ragones? I don't think I know that one. Yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty nice bottle. Cool. Anejo or what is it? Blanco. Uh, Blanco. Yeah. Yep. 
Cool. And Rhonda, you're drinking wine, I think? I am drinking wine. What is it? So I've got a bottle of B. Sellers Sauvignon Blanc. Oof, very nice. Awesome. Perfect for a Friday. And I'm just drinking some Japanese whiskey here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Let's change gears for a second. We talked a lot about category creation because I, I noticed that you're both very experienced in it. Um, I think it's very interesting, both what you mentioned about uh, Ronta. I think you, you mentioned the social listening. I think it was Nick Meta here when uh, the CEO of Gainsight who, who talked about you know, having this idea about customer success that no one had before. And this is pushing him a lot about this is not a thing. You're just in your own world about this customer success. It's just customer support. And I told him, you know, what kept you sane? You know, what kept you going? And he said, I'm, I always went back to basics. And one of my big basics was to see how the customer success role is becoming a legitimate career. Uh, and you would, you would do a lot of social listening to see if this is a trend that continues or, or not really. Um, and so that, I think that, that I thought that was very interesting. Um, changing gears. Uh, some, something that we like to talk about in the category creation podcast and this podcast is absolute truths that are very common and are actually misconceptions or also known as bullshits. And um, maybe also the opposite, things that you know to be true although no one really talks about it. Um, I can give examples, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, see if, if there is something that comes to mind, like something that is you know, talked about in TechCrunch and Business Insider and Huffington Post and on the stage of Saster that every time you see it, you're just like, it's bullshit, that's not true. I mean, I've, I've experienced the opposite in my career and you're the doers. So is there something like that that comes to mind that you've experienced more than once? I, I would like, uh, and this, this is not just TechCrunch to throw stones at them, you know, it would be great to give reporters an education course on uh, what cap tables, how cap tables really work. Because I think there's, <laughs> oftentimes I'll read a piece which is like, this company raised $50 million and they sold for 75. So everybody made out like bandits, right? And that's, you know, obviously not the case. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I always think, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, ink that's spilled on fundraising. And fundraising to me is not interesting at all. It's just merely, you know, it's, it's raise a glass. Great. We just completed a round. Now let's get back to work. Um, so employee counts and fundraising uh, to me are the things that we shouldn't be focused on. And I think we should be focused on uh, actual outputs, right? You know, uh, the, the, the revenues, the, the impact on the customers, especially. Um, and I think that at LinkedIn, we focused a lot on uh, customer value and said, okay, if we, if we get that right, uh, and this is just in the last couple of years I was there, uh, then, the, then the monetary value will, will follow. And I think it would be a lot, it'd be great if we could see more people talking about uh, the actual impacts of these products. That's interesting. I, I hear that more and more recently. I don't know if it's just because, I mean, I've only been doing this for, for five years, so maybe that's, that's, that's why. But uh, I hear that becoming more and more, the vanity metrics of raising round and the valuation of those rounds and the number of employees growing as a celebration. While this is completely a, maybe a proxy for success, but certainly not, not, the, not, not the thing to focus on. Um, that's cool. What, what about you, Rhonda? Yeah, I, th I think for me, one of the things that, at least in my current world, drives me a little bit crazy is the tendency to see these pendulum swings around what is 
the next hot topic, right? And then it's all about that. And, you know, in, in my world right now, obviously to us, sustainability is a big topic because it's something that we're very focused on, but we are not about sustainability for the sake of sustainability. We actually are trying to marry, you know, dispel the myth that sustainability is, sustainability is the purview of corporate social responsibility, right? It is a vanity metric, as you said, where, you know, the elite companies can be charitable and care about the planet and nobody else can because they got to worry about making money. And from our perspective, we're actually seeing not just us, but companies around the world proving that actually, if you think in terms of sustainable practices, it's often better for the bottom line. It's smarter for business. It attracts more investors. It does all of these sorts of things. And so, you know, for me, the, the tendency to silo conversations and really focus on sort of the one true thing <laughs> at, in, in exclusion of everything else, uh, as opposed to thinking about businesses as holistic and multidimensional as human beings, I think is, you know, it, it's, it's a risk in the market today, getting people to really think about, you know, how do we build businesses and where do we focus our energies and how do we connect to what people care about? Because it's not just about the, you know, what does the charter of the business look like, but how do we engage those listeners and those viewers and those customers around the, the bigger ideas that make them want to be part of what you're doing in the long term versus transactional. And how do you convince, uh, how, how do you get early stage entrepreneurs who are just in survival mode, just trying to get to the next stage to, to think that way? You know, I think it's, I, I, what I've found is that, you know, if you take a step back and think about what makes you loyal to a company, a brand, willing to try a new idea? And oftentimes it is because you not only believe in what they're doing, but you have faith and trust that the people that you're working with share your values, right? That they're in it for the long haul, that they do have your best interests at heart in the long run. And I think those things, a lot of companies can get, like I said, very focused on the transactional. And one of the phrases that I've used since my Intel days is it should always be about what we make possible, not about what we make. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind is why are you doing this? Why should people really care and be attached to it? And then the how you do it, that's going to evolve over time, right? You're going to build a great product, then you're going to build the next great product, then you're going to grow a portfolio. But the foundation of what is it that you're out to make possible and how are you connecting with your customers? That's the thing that has to remain a focus throughout. So I think that's an important thing for entrepreneurs to start out with because a lot of them, you know, will think I can make this great thing and it's going to be awesome and the market's going to love it. Knowing why you're making that thing and what you expect the benefit of that to be five, 10 years down the road and where it's going to take you and where it's going to take the world. I think it's really important. And it makes it more exciting and it's going to help you get the right talent as well. And I'm going on a tangent, but you know, for me, when I would go in and talk to a small company, the company I work for right now, I, I had just started a job. I was nine months into a new CMO role when I ended up moving over to the company I'm with now. And I took the meeting after saying no four times because I was going to recommend somebody else for the role. So let me find out what you guys are doing and I will find you somebody great. And I came out of what was supposed to be a 45 minute meeting 
three and a half hours later saying, oh crap, I think I'm changing jobs because I love what this company is doing. I love what they've done and I love where they're going. And you know, the, the products and the technologies were kind of secondary to that equation. That's cool. That's very cool. I mean, I think a few years ago, I would be cynical and wouldn't believe you. But today, I think, uh, I think that that is true. The following for a company, the product is a part of the mix and maybe a big piece of it. But the, the people and the values and everything behind it, I think is is big deal. Uh, and, so. and don't get me wrong. You've got to have an awesome product. Like Doug said, you've got to have the best thing in the market. You're not going to fake that. But if you have that and all the other stuff, it's a slam dunk. Let's think about the opposite now. Um, something that no one that you know is not uh, not a misconception, uh, a popular one, but maybe the other way around. Some some hidden yeah. truths that you have both experienced um, to be you know one of the most most important things you've learned. Um, like uh, for example, Doug, you know not 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 to make this an easy answer for you, but what you mentioned before about uh, not going too quickly into execution mode. Like it seems like you're very you know, meticulous right now about doing the research and understanding exactly who you are for and who not, and and what is the distraction, what is the what is the pattern, um, something you know in that in that sense that you know early stage entrepreneurs can really take to heart. What what would those absolute truths look like? Yeah, I, I and, and listen, like there is no such thing as perfect information, right? You know, you you can't just ready aim 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 forever, right? You eventually have to fire. Um, I often went ready, fire, aim. And so maybe this time I'm at least throwing one, you know, aim before the fire. Um, but you can't wait too long, you know, because as Reed would say, you know, um, you know, you have to put something out that's almost embarrassing in some way. Or as my former boss, Steve Blank, used to say, like no plan survives with contact with the first contact with the market. Um, so you just have to get out there. Um, I think the, 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 the thing that I found is perseverance is kind of the most important quality of it all. Um, the whole um, culture around MVP, uh, get it out fast, you know, uh, which, as I said, you, you, you have to do at some point. But then going like, oh, it didn't it didn't work the first time. Let's pivot to a new idea. Well, like, you know, I, I don't know of many, you know, Facebooks that just happened to be like successful right off the bat. And then they ended up expanding and, you know, getting into a bigger and bigger market. Most of the times, you know, this is a, uh, a moon launch where, you know, hopefully you're not 90 degrees off target, you know, hopefully you're at least heading towards something that's, you know, remains a big problem. And, but you're, there's always going to be course corrections. There's always going to be things that you got wrong. Um, so I think that, you always just have to come back to, I think Rhonda, you know, was talking about this with Dolby, you know, what was your first, what was your fundamental assumption in the first place? What were the things that the problems you're trying to solve? Um, and what Nick was saying is the same. Are those things still relevant and or are they even going to get bigger in the future? Great. Then keep going at it. Right? Nice. Nice. That, that, that perseverance part and not pivot immediately, I think, uh, strike close to heart for many. Uh, Rhonda, what about you? So one of, one of my favorite quotes is from Robert Noyce, and he said, don't be encumbered by the past, go off and do something wonderful. And I think it's a really important concept that the, you know, the, the, it is okay to leapfrog steps, right? And, and my favorite example of that is, you know, in Africa, they skipped landline telephony altogether, right? They went right to mobile because 
the infrastructure didn't exist to go down that sort of traditional path and you know build these big institutions. And when they made that decision and said, no, this is, you know, that was a, you know, we need a distributed model that's going to work for everyone at massive scale. So we're going to bypass what doesn't work for us. All of a sudden they found themselves beyond telecommunication that enabled mobile commerce and banking and education. And it turned into jobs and growth and market transparency and all sorts of goodness because they weren't encumbered by, oh, we need to introduce telephony on a grand scale. So we need to do it exactly the way every you know, developed market in the world has done it before us. And I think it's a really important lesson, you know, particularly in the startup space that you can take reference from what's come before but make sure you don't get so enamored of it that it becomes your sort of instruction guide. You know, part of what's so exciting about new businesses is you get to break rules. You get to take those moonshots and, you know, maybe it's not hundred percent fully calculated and, you know, you're going to fail sometimes, but those failures teach you exciting new things and, you know, pave the way for some amazing innovation. That's cool. I love that. I think sometimes it's it's tough. Uh, I know I, I sometimes battle with it. When do you break the rules and when do you try to, when, you, when it's unnecessary to reinvent the wheel? Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I, I think one of my advisors, maybe two years ago, we were talking about something that was kind of a big dilemma. And I told him, you know, I can't make that changes. You know, we're already like three years into the business. He told me, no, every day you can reinvent the business. It's okay. And uh, mm-hmm. it was good. Like, you know, it was a big insight and we did, we did make that change. So uh, I, I was reminded of that with your comment. Um, we have about nine minutes left. Um, this is the kind of towards the end of the podcast. I like to ask guests, if you were to go back 10, 10 years, I know I won't try to, to go further than that, but 10 years back and you had one strong, you know, emphasis or advice uh, to to yourself earlier stage or to just entrepreneurs today who are who are getting started or or CMOs or executives getting started in in tech companies, what would be that um, what would be that advice? The most important one. You know, for me, it's look for something that makes you a little bit terrified every day. <laughs> and because those are the opportunities and those are the the roles that I found to be most encouraging and exciting and challenging, right? Don't look for what's the next time I can do exactly the thing I just did. At the same time, it you also wanna look for those chances to apply what you know, right? So it's finding that balance. I've learned these things, I've become an expert here, I can take that somewhere and add value, and then I can learn and try new stuff that is way out of my wheelhouse, that's gonna help me expand my knowledge, that's gonna make me more valuable down the line, and it's gonna, enable me to really drive change in a space that, you know, has never existed before. Go ahead, please. I was going to say, I'll build on what Rhonda was saying. You know, I, I think that um, advice I give myself is the advice I give other people, which is I use the litmus test, love or fear. Um, so if you're making a decision, you know, what's driving it? Um, fear, by the way, could be, you know, fear of, you know, financial, uh, law, greed, you know, is the flip side of that. Um, so the best decisions I've ever made, uh, have been love has been leaning in towards 
oh my God, that those people seem really smart, or that is a really cool idea, or I think I'll learn a lot. And it's never been about title or compensation. So I think that's, you know, it would just be like anything that's interesting to you at the moment is the right choice, right? Go pursue that as quickly as you, you know, as passionately and deeply as you, as you can. And if you wake up one day and that's not the right choice, there's no penalty. Like go, go find the next thing that excites you. So. And it's, and, and you don't have to be the smartest person in the room all the time. Right. And that's, you know, and that's for me that where the, it's not, it's not motivated by fear, but being willing to be a little nervous, a little scared because you don't know all there is to know. And that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Both of you talked to two, two topics that are close to heart. Uh, one is get outside of your comfort zone into the, you know, leap into the uncomfort zone. That's where the, the best life awaits for you. And I think dog, you mentioned about uh, fear versus love. I, many times when I get to ask how I make decisions, I, I make it super clear, like it's super easy. When, when I have a big decision to make, if I'm really afraid and I'm, I realize I'm about to make a decision because of, the, because of fear, it's easily the wrong decision to make. I call it more opportunity versus uh, a fear, but it's just because I'm, I'm embarrassed to say love uh, a lot with my business colleagues, but it's really the same thing. So look, I think this is very interesting, wonderful insights. Um, is there anything else you'd like to leave our guests with before we finish? Um, you know, this is just, I, I think it's a fascinating conversation, uh, this whole idea of category creation and, you know, new market development and where you're going to take things. I think your listeners, you know, every single one of them has a unique set of experiences and perspectives. And I encourage everyone to bring those to the table in whatever space they're operating in. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to speak your mind to challenge, you know, known truths and to, you know, occasionally take the contrarian point of view, because I do think it fosters some conversation. I know, Gil, I took you a little back at the beginning when I'm like, yeah, it's not about category creation at all, but, you know, it's, it, it lends some really interesting conversations, dynamics. And, you know, I felt like I learned some new things on the call and that's been great. So I, I would just add, you know, someone once told me the job of CEO is MVP, but it doesn't stand for most valuable player, far from it. Um, it's kind of money, vision, and people. Um, so I think that uh, to that aspect, I'll, I'll put in my pitch. Uh, we are uh, uh, building a team from scratch. And I think that this is uh, a new category that I think we will define. And uh, so if that's exciting, come check us out. Uh, sales pitch, you have to finish, Jason. Cheers, both of you. Rhonda and Doug, I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, you're very, very wise. And I think uh, our listeners will learn a lot from you. So thank you. Thank, thank you for having us. And have a wonderful rest of your Friday. Nice work. <laughs> have a wonderful rest of your Friday and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you both. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. Rhonda, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 